Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 70 for Monday, June 20th, 2016. And welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Los Gatos, California, it's Paul Kent. Well, we're back from a couple of crazy weeks. Yeah. 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 I just got back from uh, a great 30th anniversary. My wife and I went to to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Oh, nice. Oh, man, it was, it was so beautiful. I mean, the Grand Tetons and the town of Jackson Hole. And we went to Yellowstone for a day. We saw a bunch of amazing wildlife fantastic hikes you know those i was uh i don't get out into nature like that very much and as we're walking through this just pristine incredibly beautiful country i'm thinking what you and i talk about like the things in life that cut through is truth and you know seeing what the world looks like is very similar to music in terms of getting your brain like there's a lot more than grinding out more sales calls or, right. or, you know what I mean? Making a new PowerPoint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, you just get reminded and it's one of the reasons we do music, but you know, nature kind of, at least this trip was like really washed over me and that, you know, we're trying to get these real truthful experiences in life, experience them and share them. And that's kind of what we do with music. So I was just very much aware that um, this is good for the heart and good for the soul. Good for creativity too. I came yeah. back so excited to play. That's great. That's great. Did you play this weekend? I did. We had um, we had a couple of really good gigs. We played a street fair. Uh, we were the headliner, and it was just one of those cool things. Nice stage, great you know uh, pro sound system, um, and we, there were bands that played before us. And then there was this nice gathering of people starting to get excited for us and kind of crushing up to the stage for when we started. We played to about I'd say about thirty five hundred people, you know, for nice. this thing, and it was good. And band was like very amped up. So you know, a couple tunes. We were pushing some tempos because we were so excited to play. <laughs> yeah. I did catch a cold, a really, really bad head cold on a trip home from Wyoming. And uh, uh, actually, I'd love yours and anybody listening because I got a lot of gigs coming up. My throat is fine. Okay. All sinuses and nasal. And I've been like my one buddy who's into um, um, uh, functional medicine. He said, his doctor said, you know, you got to clean the roof of your mouth really good because that's a lot of the, the oh, yeah. germs. And then, you know, I, he gave me this um, cayenne pepper and uh, and uh, horseradish nose spray and like oh. everything. But I'm stuck. It's, it's four or five days now. And I it's my throat is fine. But when you're stuffed up up there, you can't feel the resonance when you're trying to sing. And no, so it's you different. Trying to, yeah, yeah. And then you start pushing in a bad way and then you get frustrated and you try and, you know, blow it out. So I'm. I'm really suffering right now. What do you do when it's just all sinus and nasal? Um, I, I, I don't do this, but it's been, I've been advised to do this. And so I will pass the advice along to you. And that is to use a neti pot. Which okay. Is, if you know what that is, you're basically pouring, pouring water through your, your, your nasal cavity. And, uh, I've, I've been told by pretty much everyone that uses one that I'm an idiot for not using one, especially have been already, you know, having been given that advice, um, uh, because it, it, I, I'm again, I'm told it works out. Yeah. 
right. We're yep. going to try. I, you're about the third person who's given me that one. So. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll go right to that. But yep. um, yeah, we had a couple of great gigs. It was fun to play. It, you know, it was really nice. It was nice to get on a big stage. I have this new Mesa Boogie five Mark five twenty five that I yeah. love, and I got to actually turn it up enough where I could start to feel what a Mesa Boogie does again. Yeah. A lot of these clubs, I just you know we can't I can't play that loud on stage, and uh, but on this big stage, I got to really enjoy my amp, which was a, a real blessing, and um, tried a new brand of strings this this week that I really really liked. The brightness of uh, clear tone strings was really cool. Yeah. Um, so a lot of good stuff happened. Like I said, came back from this trip energized, walked into a great gig and, um, and, uh, that's great. Yeah. It's fun stuff. I, um, I basically did this same thing. I had an acoustic gig on Friday, but, uh, you know, I woke up in San Francisco Thursday morning as expected. Uh, this wasn't like, you know, I wasn't kidnapped or anything. Uh, I was there all week and, uh, flew to actually to Newark and then popped in and out of Manhattan for a press event on Thursday night. And then from on Friday morning, flew home from Newark to Boston and then had a gig that started at a 730 downbeat on uh, Friday night. So it was a little crazy. And I was travel always dehydrates me, uh, you know, airplanes and just moving around a lot and all that. So and it was an acoustic gig with Hamnesiac, which we're now calling Fling Acoustic Trio because it uh, allows us to sell things like T-shirts, Fling T-shirts at, at gigs. And we sold four at the uh at the gig on, on Friday night, which was a, which was outstanding, especially, Sweet. yeah, especially considering that the crowd was really light when they booked the gig. They, none of us realized that it was bike week here in New Hampshire. Um, so, which means everybody is up at the lake. Anybody that would frequent a bar that would might attract bikers are all gone. And there was a, um, a big concert nearby too. a, a country guy was playing. So, uh, so the crowd was pretty light, but they were energetic. And like I said, they bought t-shirts. So it was, it was nice. all good. Yeah. But it was interesting singing. You know, I have to sing I all, I sing in almost every song um, leads about half of them. Aaron and I mostly split them. Russ sings um, occasionally, but you know, it's either leads or harmonies and each has their, um, their difficulties, you know, but uh, so it was, it was interesting getting through the gig, but uh, I made it through. It was fine, but you know, I had to, had to bail out of a couple of high notes or sing things a different way so that I didn't shred my throat. You know, that kind of similar to what you were going through with your, your cold, uh, perhaps not, not quite as bad, but just different anyway. But it was a good gig. Pizza house gig again. Uh, you really like that. I love the acoustic pizza house gigs. Yeah. Yeah. They're fun. They're, uh, everybody, it's, it seems easy to get people engaged. And that's part of the acoustic thing too, is, is just, you know, but again, it was, it was that kind of thing where, we had to intentionally sort of start having fun with each other. And then the crowd sort of felt the door open and, and then it was, you know, it was just a conversation all night long. Well, that's, you know, I want to talk about that for a second because yeah. um, I've been talking about the music series in my town and I've been gotten, I've gotten involved mm. with putting on. Mm. We had the first one yesterday. Yeah. And we had that band we've also been talking about here that mustache Harbor yep. open the series for us and they were awesome. I mean, they're just real pros and they play, you know, a lot of Christopher Cross. They, play, you know, they play. They, we yacht talk rock. We chat yeah. about yacht rock and uh, guilty feet have got no rhythm. And you know, mm. there was a lot of stuff. It was really fun. Oh, they close. Yeah. <laughs> they close with "Come Sail Away," which is just awesome. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and it was really a lot of fun. But it was the first one. We had the Warriors in Game Seven, and and it was a little light in attendance right. when we started. And they, they, you know, it was just a lesson in you know your first set 
is not always a guaranteed, especially on a late afternoon, you know, type thing. Uh, But it was really fun to watch pros plow through their game plan. You know, they, they didn't take a note off their dance steps, you know, everything that they do in their show, they just did. did. Yeah. And you just keep working the problem and working the problem and you will win the audience over if you you don't give up. If you don't, yeah, yeah. I mean, as long as you don't, you know, offend them. uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I I think the pros out there know this. Yep. But I, I would actually direct this more to like the semi-pro bands or the week, true weekend warrior bands where, you know, if you're if all the guys in your band are not comfortable performers, what you tend to get is a lot of shoegazing. A lot of guys kind of looking down like, uh oh, are we going to go over tonight? You know, the, you can you can almost sense the um, anxiety coming off the stage from the band. Yeah. And it's really hard to get that back. And you actually lose a lot of opportunities. I mean, you, you really you can show a lot about your band. When you start off, you can show a lot about your band, whether you're playing to three people or 3000 people, if you approach it the same way. I mean, the That's same right. amount. Well, it's so here I've got it. I, I have a, a new catchphrase for us, Paul. It, oh. I'm going to steal it from Glengarry Glenn Ross, right? Which is ABC. Always be closing. Always be, yeah. Yeah. So it the, the rule is always be performing. Yes. It doesn't matter if it's like you said, three people or 3000 or 30,000 perform for all of them. And let me put a little refining on that because what I have often seen bands do is like when, when it, like we actually, the first gig I had when we came back from Wyoming um, is in a really nice town, but it's a lightly attended concert series yeah. and they're very laid back about it. It's, you know, they're very, very laid back. Um, what you want to avoid doing and what the tendency to do is like on stage to relax yourself. Yeah. A vibe goes around the stage. Like, isn't this sublimely ridiculous? Let's just entertain ourselves. I, th- I think that's wrong. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Almost mocking the audience for not, you know, getting into you the way you want them to do it. The focus has still got to be on the audience and the focus has still got to be, like I said, whether there's three, three people or 3000 people, it says a lot about your professionalism. If you act your plan exactly the same way. I, yeah. I wouldn't say exactly the same way. I, was, I would actually disagree on that point because if there's 3000 people and they're all there to see you and just packed up against the stage, there's, there, there's a way you can interact with them uh, right out of the gate. That's just, that's, that's obvious, right? Or at least should be obvious. But when there's, you know, 10 people there or five people there, uh, I think it's a different thing. It, it naturally can be more intimate than, than you can be with 3000 people. And yeah. I think, I think, you know, mocking the audience bad. I, I agree with you there, but having fun, making fun, making light of the situation that you're all in. So as long as you're inclusive about this, like, like the other night, it, you know, I, I said, to, as soon as we started, I said, all right, this is great. Thanks all of you for coming out. You, you know, um, you know, I, I appreciate you starting your bike week celebration here with us instead of where everyone else is. That's going to be great. And, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to ask you because there's so many of you here to just hold your applause until the end of the set. Otherwise, we'll never get to play a second song. Right. I mean, doing that kind of stuff where you're acknowledging the scenario, I, I think it is is important or at least it works. It's not the only way to do it, but I think, I think you can play a different show for, you know, when it's starting out as 10 people versus starting out as a hundred or, or a thousand. Well, so try this on. I, it's yeah. a matter of style, right? Yep. If, if you have a natural easy way, again, I, I, I think from my experiences pointing out the fact that it's a light, light audience 
unless you're really in command of your of your gift of gab, yeah, it can it can come off a little too self deprecating or no, you know, it doesn't right? need to be self deprecating. That's the thing is it it has to and and you're right. It it's how comfortable are you acknowledging the elephant in the room? You know, with this scenario and that and that's what it is because people are going to feel the less people in the room there are, the lower the number is, the less comfortable people are going to feel about interacting with the band, right? There, there is safety in numbers, just the same as there's safety in darkness, right? People dance more when it's dark as opposed to when the house lights are on. And so I think you, you know, I feel like I have to break that tension because, or at least acknowledge that tension. But, yeah, then, yeah. but again, it, that's it, just me. That That's my style. It's a style. That's yeah, it. Exactly. And, so I, yeah. and, and I, I understand that. And I think I have gone that path on occasion and where I've kind of come to in my head is it's not you. It's yeah. What I would rather do, what feels more impactful to me is to basically show those three, seven, nine, 12, 25 people, whatever it is. Yep. I'm going to go as hard as I can for you. Yep. And I, I actually, that that's what resonates that, more that is works. what my job is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, you know, no, I don't think there's a right or wrong. No, it's a matter of style. Not. Yeah. Yep. So cool. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we had, uh, we've had a lot of questions from you folks, so we're going to go through, uh, I don't know. We'll probably, we'll try and get through five of them here before, uh, before we run out of time. And if, if not, uh, well then, you know, we've got more for, for the next time we do this Fe- uh, before we start, I'm going to tell you feedback at giggabpodcast.com is one way. Facebook, uh, Facebook.com slash podcast is another way to find us either commenting on a post or sending us a message. Either one is fine. And finally commenting on the post on our website at giggabpodcast.com is another way. And we, if we get through everything, you will hear at least one of each of those. And, uh, and we'll start with Tom from uh, Facebook who says, who asks quick, quick question. What are your thoughts on band banners and what would you put on them? Thanks and love the show. We love you too, Tom. Um, we really do. These questions are great. It, you know, it's, um, it helps propel the show along in so many ways. It's, it, we love it. So please don't hesitate to send them in and thank you for doing that, Tom. Uh, my feeling on band banners is you, uh, I keep them simple. I feel, and I think they are a good thing. We have a fling banner flings logo, is uh was brilliantly designed by, by russ i believe if it was designed by somebody else i'm going to give russ the credit anyway because um, he brought it to us but it works really well in a single color so we have and i would do always always and this is true for business presentations too black background yeah. light text always yeah. always always because it shows up way better um in in bad lighting so uh so we, it is a black background and it's bright yellow text. And all we have on it is the fling logo. We, I, I think we, all we have on is the fling logo. We might have flingrocks.com on it. I don't know. I should, I should turn around one of these gigs and look at it. <laughs> but, um, but I think keeping it simple, you know, just your band logo and, and maybe your URL. I don't know. That's I think my a thought. banner is a good thing to have. Yep. Um, I think what you get is if you're going to hang the banner, do a good job of hanging the banner, make it straight, make it tight. Yeah. Either if it's going to go across the back or whether it's going to go on the, you know, if you're on a high enough stage or it can go across the, you know, the proscenium in the, the front of the stage. Yep. I think that th- those are important things to remember. So, you know, like, like just about anything, don't half, but anything, you know, put some thought into the materials of the banner, make sure it's hangable and all different things. Get lots you know, of we, grommets all the grommets, way around it. 
Yeah. yeah. You don't, don't just put grommets in the corners, yeah. put them, you know, at least three or four across the top so that, yeah, like you said, nothing, nothing is worse than looking at a band and seeing the banners sagging in the middle. Yeah. yeah. And also I don't think too much information is good. I, it is not yeah. a business card. I, I actually, I don't think you should put a, a URL on it. Yeah. That's this again is my style. Less is more, you know, just look it, it's, it's part of your stage decor. It's not an advertisement in itself. That's right. People probably will disagree with that. I mean, a lot of people say, well, if you're looking at it, why shouldn't be able, somebody be able to walk away with how to contact you? It's such an easy thing. My thought is that it, it is a stage prop that adds to the, you know, the look of your band. Yeah. And so, you know, an overt advertising on it is, you know, probably not what you want to do. So, you know, if you're going to do a banner, hang it right, build it right, you know, build it ready to hang in a lot of different places. Be selective about when you use it. Um, you know, if you're in if you're in a venue where they're going to be promoting you a lot, and uh, and uh, they're going to be saying your name all the time, do you always need to have it? Sometimes it's kind of cool, I think, to just take the stage and go. Huh. So yeah, it's not for me. It's not. It's not. We have a banner. It's not always a part of what we do. Yeah. Well, there is. A, so I'm I'm only going to disagree with you on one point. Keep it simple. Put your band's logo on it. I, I agree that you don't necessarily need a URL, but. I think every band banner should have the gig gab podcast logo in the corner. And, and we're happy to send you the artwork for that for your charge. So that's right. Proud listener gig gab. That's right. <laughs> uh, so thank you very much, Tom. That's uh, that's good. And that came from Facebook as does this next one from John. John asks, I've been listening to your podcast and catching up. I have a question. What is your opinion on the increasing trend of using backing tracks in live gigs? You ever done, you ever use backing tracks, Paul? I, I have never have. I have opinions on this, but they're reasonably uninformed opinions. Sure. So, you know, um, this is live music. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people are using click tracks. If you can effectively play to it, you know, nothing is worse than people meandering off of a click track <laughs> and trying um, to get back on. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, if it, it, as an aside, if you're playing to a click track and you, you need to have a way to bail out of it. Because if the band moves too far away from it, you just need to turn it off and, yeah. and punt. Yeah. That's I don't right. think he's asking about. No, he's track. not. That's why I said it's just a little side tangent. But yeah. So, you know, if this is things like string patches and those types of things, interesting. If this is full instrumentation, I don't know. Like, I kind of feel I'm a little bit of a purist there. I think it's kind of false advertising. I mean, a lot of people use samples mm. as part of musical performance. He may be asking about that. But full on backing tracks, like, like, recorded background vocals or, or additional instrumentation parts. I mean, I, I would say that's, that's over towards the auto tune argument where like, are you playing or you're not playing? So yeah. um, it, what does your band sound like? And, you know, to, to put some kind of pre pre-recorded studio production um, um, sound into your live sound. I, I, I find that a little bit disingenuous, but uh, that's just me. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it, I think it really depends on your band. If you're, one of those bands that's truly going down the copycat road, right? Like you want to play these songs like people hear them on the radio and that's your job as a band. Then, you know, there's no reason not to use backing tracks. You're probably already using, you know, your guitar players using a modeling amp to get exactly the sound that you're going for. You're probably running everything through the PA anyway, so that you're not, you know, so that you're really in control, probably using electronic drums, right? I mean, there's, there's all of these decisions that really start with what is my band? What, you know, what's the point of this project? And if yeah. the point is to be 
X number of people on stage playing music and what that sounds like, well, then backing tracks probably don't have a, a place there. But if there's if you're heading down the path of of, you know, that I've I've seen and it's sort of halfway to the backing track thing. Um, I've worked with guys. Uh, I've done acoustic gigs with a guitar player who will um, sample himself in mm. the moment. You know, yeah. using one of those those sample pedals like yeah. the, the Beat Buddy or whatever, and he'll sample himself like while he's playing and singing a verse, and then when it's time you know to play the the a solo over that verse, he just kicks the sample back in and solos over what he just played. So it's the same tempo that he was in, and and he's really good at like cutting back and forth between the two. So much so that even playing along with him doesn't get too weird. There's times when it, there's just like a little hiccup, but. Um, but that works. Aaron and Fling has started using a, an effects. It started experimenting, but I really should say uh, with an effects pedal for vocals just to thicken up harmonies, um, which is something he really likes. It's not for me. Um, I w- well, I'll say it, it's it it's it's not anything I would ever have added. But um, but he's you know he's been experimenting with it. Sometimes on these Eagles tunes, suddenly I'll hear like, oh wow, like like things are a little thicker now you know it's like and it's good it's fine um it's it's different but i've yeah i'm trying to think if i've ever played i've played with a click i don't think i've played with a backing track um i don't even think i've done that with a theater gig although that certainly not in recent years maybe in the past i did i don't know i've never done it i you know but again like for a theater gig if there was a backing track to play along with I wouldn't have any problem with that. It's just part of the deal. You, you know, um, theater gigs a little different, but it's different. That's what I'm saying is it's, it's a different, yeah, it's a, it's, so it depends on the scenario. Um, I don't know. I don't have any hard and fast yeah. rules. Yeah. I yeah. think what you're saying, there are certain styles of music where samples are used quite a bit. Yeah. Go on backing tracks for a cover band though. I don't know. It, well, again, it, it depends. Are you a cover band or are you a copy band? Right. And I, I think there's a difference in there. And, 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 or are you a tribute act, right? And the act that you are paying tribute to uses backing tracks as part of their live show. Like if you're a rush tribute band, you're probably going to need to use some sequencers in order, or add a fourth guy on stage to play those keyboard parts because that's what rush does live, right? They, you know, they, they triggered the start of all of these things, but there are sequences and they're in time and, so they have to play along and make sure that, you know, they're, they're in the right ballpark for tempos and all that stuff. So I think it just depends. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. No, no right or wrongs in many of these things. Yeah. And we're just sharing our perspectives on things, adding to your perspectives on things. And you know, there's no right or wrong. I guess the thing is if the, if the focus of your band is true and the backing packs are a support are a supportive element hmm. to making people happy with your live show, I guess that that's fine. It's that's not fine. the way I would go, but right. but um, yeah. if it makes sense for what you're doing, I guess that's what the answer is. So Brian asks, and this is a probably a topic we've certainly covered the topic before, and I'm sure we will again. But Brian asked, I would love to hear about your inner ear monitor solution and how you decide who and what goes through the PA versus stage volume in a small venue as opposed to a large outdoor venue. And then he followed that up with, where do you start for an in ear mix? And it it's it's, this is one of those things. Um, you know, I think the, f- the first part of the question, how do you decide who goes through the PA? 
I think really depends on the room. And and when I'm answering this question, I mean, what instruments are being reinforced in the front of house? Um, so that depends on the room. You you may be in a room where you don't need any snare drum or potentially any drums at all in the in the mains. You might be in a room where all you need is maybe kick drum and vocals and no guitars need to be in the mains or you might be in a in a room or a venue where you need everything in the mains. Right. Uh but for in ears you need everything in the PA. I think. Uh, in order to even begin to think about, okay, you know, what am I then going to put in my ears? Because your in-ears are going to isolate you. And I think in addition to everything, you also are going to want an ambient mic for uh, just to pick up, you know, some of that, that wash on the stage. Otherwise you feel like you're in your own closet. Absolutely. Uh, You know, for me, and, and again, I'm, you know, I know what I want in my, in my ears. I want all the vocals, um, usually even I want me even with other people, as long as they're people I trust when they sing. Uh, but usually that usually that's the case. If it's people I don't know, then I might want a little bit more of me. Uh, if I've got somebody that might be wavering in, in terms of dynamics, but, um, I want that. I want drum overhead because that keeps me from playing too loud. And it also acts as an ambient mic. Uh, I don't know how other instrumentalists feel about using a drum overhead as an ambient mic, but for me, it's perfect. And then, um, and then it depends on what amps are close to me on stage. Some are going to bleed through into my ears and I don't need them. And if a guitar amp or a keyboard amp is way over there, well then, yeah, let's go giddy up. And if you can do stereo ears, which is totally decadent, it's great because it gives you some directionality and some separation so you can keep the volume lower. That's my feeling on it. Yeah. So our buddy Dan East actually shared a pretty involved methodology for getting, for getting in-ear mixes done and we should put a link to that in the show notes but yeah you know i've actually taken a two steps backwards with my in-ears um in the last couple of gigs so um one is i'm having a real hard time with this sure wireless mic getting um a vocal feed into my in-ears it cuts through i don't know if there's something about you know wireless to the board and then wireless back out to my in-ears what kind of microphone but, is it it's a it's a sure okay, beta so 58 yeah, yeah, it's a beta 58 something, whatever. You know, there's like two or three levels of the show. I don't remember which model I have, yeah, yeah. but, but you could, but you could take ears. the, you could take the, the wireless module off of that or is it all in one? I mean, could all you use one. a different micro? Oh, okay. All right. Cause that's yeah. probably the wrong Cancel. mic for you to be using. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. So anyway, I'm having a real hard time with the vocals cutting through. And, and then there's the old thing that we rarely get enough of a sound check mm-hmm. um, where I can get the mix right. And then when we do, I consistently find that the mix and the volume that people play at in soundcheck and the volume that people play at at downbeat are always change. And so what I hear in my ears is really frustrating. Yep. You know, I don't even know if we have a channel left for an ambient mic with the big band that we have. And oh, so yeah. Yeah. You know, getting and getting drums mixed is really hard. You know, that's that's three or four inputs that I gotta get right, you know, to feel comfortable to just hear a drum set. You know, and so I, I've taken a step backwards and it's really, really frustrating when it's great. It is freaking awesome. I and mean, it makes your singing job a world of difference. So much easier, so much easier on your voice, so much easier on your articulation. It, it's, it's yep. really fantastic. But when it's not right, it is heartbreakingly, frustratingly 
you know, and you know, I, oh, yeah. we, about we talked about this in the years. last show. Yeah. I'm we've been talking you. about this since I know you. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's right. No, it, it, it is. Yeah. I've had moments in Nirvana, but more than often it is not, it is not a, a semi pro amateur solution. The band that played this gig. I, I disagree. Know, you can get it done, but you have to mix your own ears. Well, I'll tell you. Well, that's the thing. So now, now, you know, it's hard as the front man to say, yeah, just give me a second. I'm going to turn around and, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, the band yesterday. So again, very pro band. They walk in with their own rack of in-ears and their own outboard processing. Yep. And they control that very, very carefully. Yep. That's the very key. quiet band on stage. Very, very quiet band on stage. Interestingly enough. Yeah. No, it, it it's the way you have to do it. Uh, you, I, you, you know, I've um, and I said this, I think, in, right in last week's show that. The only way that the in-ears work is if you're controlling your own mix because or you have someone whose job it is to do nothing but control the in-ears and can bounce between each person's and which is what happens in a pro show like a touring show is not going to just have a front of house engineer. Usually they're going to have a monitor engineer and you know, and that's just, there's a reason for that. So if you don't, if there is no dedicated monitor engineer and you're using in-ears, it has to be you. It, there, you cannot leave that job up to the front of house person. Yeah. I don't think. It's I, just, I agree with you. It's just too frustrating for all parties. It, you know, yeah. yeah, they have a job to do way over there. You have a job to do way over here. They can't know. They, they You know, it's just, it's too much. Yeah. And then the other part of the question that's really interesting is like, what do you put through the mains and, you know, what do you yeah. put on stage? The interesting, what I'm hearing in that question that is interesting in my bands is you're assuming that you're making a decision that's good for the whole band by making these recommendations, whereas really the musicians need to know what they're comfortable with, right? So I have, you know, my keyboard player doesn't use in-ears. He's very particular about his mix of wanting to hear everything from across the stage. And that's what he needs to perform well, but his needs to perform well generate issues of stage volume and how loud he likes his monitor on these small stages. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's this other delicate balance of, of, you know, it's not one guy's decision. Well, it may, maybe it's one guy's decision. You know, if you're willing to tell your band, this is what we're going to put on the stage. We're going right. to make this, this right. what's best versus one guy saying, Nope, excuse me. I need to hear what I need to hear in order to perform well. So I'm going to get what I want, which I think is the constant tension that most bands go through. Right. Yep. Totally, which is which can be solved with in ears, right? Because uh, your mix doesn't impact doesn't me. Ah, that's I I know, <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, but there is a reason that all the pros use them, and this is it. Yeah, because that way it doesn't matter what house you're in, it doesn't matter anything. You hear what you expect to hear, and that's that's the key. And like you said, when you get that, it's blissful. So. Yeah. So pretty much when anybody asks a question about in-ears, Paul will whine, uh. Dave will empathize, mm-hmm. and we will get nowhere. That's right. Well, no, I, really, I, the solution is mix them yourself. And and part of that is showing up to a gig with your own iPad loaded with all of the apps from all of the different vendors. So you want, you know, Alan and Heath and Yamaha and Mackie and just right. find them all, personas, right? And put them on your iPad in a folder and be and be and and the nice part about all these apps is you can put them in demo mode without even having any of the hardware and play and you need to get to the gig familiar with whatever it is you're going to be using so that you can go up to the engineer and say hey i can make both of our lives a lot easier 
I'm used to this mixer. I know and, and share one little bit of information, you know, like I know that this one's weird about the way the outboard mixes work and I know how to do this. Uh, you know, it's going to make both of our lives easier if I just mix my monitors. Can you give me the password for the Wi-Fi network? Mm. And, and you know, that, that will, if you can convince that person that you are competent, then they will love you and allow you to do this. Usually, unless there's like some fiefdom, you know, problem going on, which sometimes Indeed. happens. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, two left. Let's see. This one came in to the website from Mark about last week's uh, show, I believe, where he says, uh, we were talking about making a living from music. And he says, I plan on joining a band. And though I'm not looking to make it my only source of income, I would like to make decent money. When you say that getting paid $100 per man is the minimum and 300 is good money, is that payment for playing bars and nightclubs? What if you're playing a 500-seat venue and you sell out? Is it still only 100 to 300 per man? Or do you get a percentage of the ticket sales? Paul? Right. Yeah. So um, we're talking about 100 to 300 a man is, I would say, nightclub, small, small club, festival, concert, you know, civic concert series. Yeah. That's, that's about that. You know, um, once you're able to sell out 500 plus venues you enter a whole different realm of negotiation right yeah, you're probably you, renting the venue at that point well, you could you or, could or yeah. or if you if you don't have the wherewithal to do the rest of the work of promoting your gigs that type of thing so what i'm saying is if, if you can draw 500 fans anywhere you're able to create all these kind of interesting tiered levels of compensation you know you you know you can say if you go in on a on a wednesday night and you can sell 500 you can take a lot, much larger percentage because it's probably going to be a dark night in a theater. If you're going to go in on a Friday or Saturday, which is a night where a venue makes their money, you know, what's your ticket rate and how much of that ticket we've had, we have a couple of really good clubs out here. And, you know, a lot of times it'll be like 80% of ticket revenue goes to the band. Hmm. And you only take those gigs if you think you're going to be able to do enough where 80% of your ticket revenue is what you want. Right. But the more people you have, it's, you know, we've been talking about this, on this for a long time. If you have an audience, you control your destiny really, really interestingly when it comes to negotiating with venues. So, you know, you got to understand the other guy needs to make some money, too. So it's not all a one way thing. But you're going to go in and you can cut interesting types of deals, guarantees, if you prove that you can do it over and over again. So and then once those guarantees come, remember, you're still. You're those still on the go, hook. Well, they'll go away quickly if you don't yeah. perform. Right? It's a two, it's a two guarantees need to be a two way street because yeah. like you said, both everybody involved needs to, this needs to be a win-win. They all need yeah. to make money. Yeah, that's right. So no, I, I don't think a hundred bucks a night. If you're selling 500 tickets is what you can expect. But so Un if you're, Unless you're getting hired as a sideman for somebody else who did all the work and says, I need, you know, a drummer for this gig. I'll pay you a hundred bucks. You yeah. want, yay or nay. And I mean, you can always say nay right? in that scenario. Um, and that's, and that's it. you have a little insight into this as to what sideman rates are. Right. Yeah. So, and, and I, I, I'm very curious about this because, you, you know, as musicians, we all kind of do the math in our head as to, okay, it's a 900 seat place and, you know, 50 buck tickets and big sound system up there. And the venue's kind of nice. I mean, we, we kind of play these scenarios to wonder what it's like to do these types of things. Yeah. But I, I'll tell you this, there, there are some, reasonably famous musicians in this area who um, are still playing restaurants and bars, you know, for that hundred, 200 bucks a night yep. when they're not out doing their other things. And so, so, you know, musicians play, 
right? Yep. And and so that's one part of it. But you're right. If it's if it's a band that seats, if are, is it your name on the band? Are you an equal partner in the band, or are you just a a gun for hire? In which case, you know, the, I know the guys. The rates, the rate. The rates, the rate. You know, I know, I know. We've had horn players play with us who play for Huey Lewis and the Doobie Brothers and Sly and the Family Stone, and they'll take a two hundred three hundred dollar gig. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the great movie to watch, actually, everybody, if you haven't seen it, go watch it, is Sting's Bring on the Night um, movie, which is about the tour of the Dream of the Blue Turtles album that, that Sting did. And they rehearse in this castle. I think it's where he lives, actually. But whatever. They rehearse in this castle. And so you get to see a, there's a lot of behind the scenes. In fact, the, the live performances are a very small part of this, you know, quote unquote concert video for the most part, it's them putting this together and it's fun. It's interesting seeing these backing vocalists teaching sting how to harmonize. He really, this was his post police project, you know, very, Mm -hmm. very shortly post police. And he thought he wanted a band, you know, in the end, I don't think he really did. Um, But, and, and that sort of plays out throughout the, that's sort of the theme of the thing, but there's a moment, I think it's the manager sitting down with, it might've been Bramford Marsalis and, uh, Saying, hey, look, man, or maybe it was Brantford, you know, restating what um, the, maybe the tour manager had told him. He said, look, you know, here's the thing. Um, yes, the, there's there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars being made at each of these concerts, but it's not my show. If I'm sick and somebody else plays, the crowd still shows up and is happy. But if Sting's sick, <laughs> you know, and, and that's that's sort of how that's that, that's it's a great litmus test for the point you were making earlier, which is who drew the people there. And if it's not you, well, then you have a whole lot less to negotiate with. It doesn't mean you have nothing. If you're a good drummer, guitar player, singer, whatever your job is, then you have something to negotiate with. But but know what that is. And don't overstate it by saying, man, you know what? You're making a ton of, yeah. Okay. Well, what was your gig that you were going to do tonight? You know, that's the question. And okay. If you didn't draw them, well, you know, it's not, maybe you can ask and say, man, can you, could you cut me an extra hundred bucks? You know, is there that much on the table? You can ask, but you got to know where you stand. Yeah. Yeah. And and usually you have a, you have a deal, right? Oh yeah. You have a deal. It's pretty clear. Oh, if it's not, you don't, I wouldn't. Even show bad on up. You. That's bad, yeah, on, bad you. on you for uh, taking a gig. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Don't show up wondering what the pay is going to be. Ask. I mean, if it's nebulous because, you know, we've had people not in this band, but when I was playing in Groove Syndicate, we had, you know, we'd have subhorn players and stuff. And sometimes the gigs would be a cut of the door and it would be a, a sizable, you, you know, chunk of money at the end of the night and even like New Year's Eve gigs and things like that. And we'd have subs come in and, and we would tell them. Yeah, look, you know, here's here's how it's going to work. Do you want a hundred bucks flat, or do you want to cut in with the rest of the band even, which we're happy to do for you? But you know, it might be fifty, but it's probably going to be three hundred. You know, and they're always, you know, and they made their choice. We had one guy that was like, "I need the, I, you know, I I need the guarantee." I was like, "That's no problem, awesome." You know, but we we weren't doing it to make money um solely i mean it wasn't our our job so we were okay kind of opening up the the kimono if you will and just saying look if you want in sure we can be a band on stage we can be this group of people as a band on stage tonight and nobody is is lesser you know what i mean and so yeah i don't know yeah i feel compelled to actually say and you know if this question is is from a sideman thinking 
who has a preconceived notion about about how splits go. There's a possibility that that's the, where this question is coming from. I would say this. You know, remember, if you don't have a deal, um, and if you're a sideman, or if you're a sideman in a band, um, and you know, there's a leader who is doing a certain amount of things. Respect the value of that time, you know. And so, not everything is always an equal split. It should be stated up front. That's right. But but don't don't cry unfair if you're doing the math in your head and it's not an equal split. Remember, there's a lot of work that goes into any successful gig. Hopefully, the band has a discussion about who owns right. that work. Yeah, don't but, cherry um, pick your math. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. Thank you. Yeah, just look at the whole picture. You know. Yeah. I think we got a couple more, Paul, but uh, but we're at forty here, so I think we uh, I think we yeah, save it for the next good time. Stuff for today, yeah, it interesting is. stuff. Yeah, so we told you how to find us. Feedback at Gig Podcast, GigGabPodcast.com, dot and Facebook.com slash GigGabPodcast. And we look forward to hearing from you. Fun show, Paul. I'm having a blast doing this as always. Yeah, absolutely. We yeah. uh, we should share. You know the, uh, that recent show we did with Jan. People seem to really like that show. So we're going to do more guests for you. We've got a couple of interesting things we're working on that we've been putting out the feels for. If you have any contacts that you have of people who you think would be a good guest, you know, people who have experienced the music business, playing bands. You know, my preference is that you get guys who can relate to all of us as musicians, right? That, that's you know, that, yep. That's who I want to talk to is, you know, even if they've had some success, they're still the same type of guy that you would want to sit down and have a beer with and talk about about just playing music. That's well, and that that's the point, you know, and after I told Jan that before we chatted and after we chatted, he said to me, he said, you know, um, I didn't think that this would be, you know, that just telling stories would be interesting. Who wants to hear those stories? <laughs> and I'm like, Jan, here's the deal. I have the, the story that he told about, you know, playing that gig with Paul Blay and the bass player turned out to be Jocko and the guitar player was Pat Metheny. I said, I have that same story. Right. Every musician does that, that does, you know, side work like that. The difference is your, your version of that story is more interesting than mine, but I still tell mine too. It's, you know, it's what we do. I said, so of course people are going to be interested. He's like, yeah, now that you say it that way. So that's, that's <laughs> what we're looking for is, you know, if, if somebody's interested in promoting something, that's fine. But in the process of that, we want to hear some good stories. It doesn't need to be dirt. It, you know, we're not looking for some big reveal here. Just, Looking to have no, some we fun. do this show. We, yeah, we do this show about the kind of fraternal order of, of working That's musicians. It. That's it. Yeah, good stuff. Fun yeah. stuff. Thanks for hanging out, Paul. As always, talk to you soon. Talk to me. Always be performing. Always be performing. <laughs>